It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning, folks. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. My name's Mike Bernard. I'm your host and one of the financial planners on the show, along with my fellow financial planner and friend, Joshua Gregory. Hey, we're wrapping up our series on the six key disciplines of financial planning today. So how fitting is it that the bow we're trying to tie around this whole project, this, this last of the six areas, is estate planning? This is your gift to the people you love the most by simply just planning ahead. Oh, that's, you know what? It's often considered such a hard thing to talk about, but you're right. It's a gift for the next generation. I love that. So we've got a lot to unpack today. This is your show, folks, and I know estate planning in particular is very confusing. If you have questions, reach out to us, wisemoneyradio.com to submit a question or give us a call, 574-222-2000. Lastly, connect with us and join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter, at Wise Money Radio, to get updates about the show, read blog posts, blog, blog pro posts. Oh my goodness, that's, you can get it out. it's going right. to be a hard Take show today. Take your time. As well as other resources, question of the week, charts, and all that sort of stuff. So, All right, we're kicking off today's show with a question from Rick. Rick from South Bend, age 51. I know it's awful, but my wife and I don't have a will in place just yet. Where should we start and what do I need to do? What do I, or excuse me, what do I need to make sure we get? Yeah, thanks for your question, Rick. You know, I, I can tell that you're kind of feeling bad about not having your estate plan done already, but you're certainly not alone on this. I actually read a few surveys here recently that would suggest that somewhere between 55 and 65% of Americans don't have a will in place. But this is not one of those places, though, where there's safety in numbers, right? right? I think you're kind of intuitively recognizing that you're one tragic event away from suddenly, you know, maybe Mike and I are having a conversation with your kids and they're uh, dealing with some sort of mess that's left behind or worse, you know, we've certainly heard of, uh, of plenty of cases where families are split apart over conflict that was unnecessary, all related to uh, the, uh, the estate plan that was not well uh, prepared or well communicated. And, and I think Rick even um, recognizes that here in, in how he lays out his question, I know it's awful. And I would just right. mention folks who know that this is something they need to get in place, but they don't have it. There is this level of kind of regret and um, and concern. And so, gosh, if that's you, hopefully today's show will help equip you to make that next wise step and get a plan in place, create that last gift to your heirs, as Josh was saying. That's right. It's not too late yet. Yeah. So I, I would echo that and just encourage you to take the motivation you're feeling right now and go do that organizational work and that preparation. You know, um, most people report that they haven't done their estate plan uh, just simply because they haven't gotten around to it. But you can not get around to something for a really long time, right? So now, while it's on your mind, I would at least look into, do you need a at least a basic estate plan? Mm-hmm. And I would define a basic estate plan as there's there's four different types of legal documents to be considering and also two different types of arrangements to put in place, okay? And not all these have to do with dying either. 
Yeah. In fact, I would argue that the most important two documents for you to be considering first and foremost are documents that you use during your lifetime. The first one is what we'd refer to as a durable power of attorney. Some people might call it a financial power of attorney. Mm-hmm. This is basically your opportunity to designate someone that you trust, giving them permission ahead of time to transact business on your behalf. And we don't need to tell you how important this is. With all of the privacy rules and where our society is going, you know, 20 years ago, if you're married, husband could call up and talk about his wife's assets or the bank account or whatever and vice versa. Not anymore, folks. There are very, very strict rules that if that's not your name, even if you share the same last name, if that's not your name, you have no authority. So getting a durable or financial power of attorney gives you that expressed authority if that person's not able to act on their own behalf. That's right. So it's things like signing papers for you or writing checks, paying bills, that paying sort of bills. thing. Yes. Selling stuff or buying stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, pretty much any financial transactions, if you are incapacitated or unable to transact business on your own, mm-hmm. then who are you going to trust to do that for you? And are you going to grant them the authority ahead of time so they don't have to run through the court system to try to get some sort of conservatorship or guardianship for you uh, instead? Let me run a quick story by you. I had some folks, I'm serving some folks who he was recently diagnosed with Alzheimer's, hmm. but he managed all the financial affairs, paid the bills and paid the mortgage and all of that. And so it was... Um, we needed to get a financial power of attorney in place so that his wife had the authority to go in and pay the bills and do those sorts of things because a lot of the accounts and such were just listed in his name. Right. Yep. And by the time you need to pass on that uh, that authority, it's too late to grant it. Yeah. Right. Because you really uh, are not deemed to be uh, to have the right capacity in order to even sign the document saying, yep, I grant my wife authority to to sign for me. Similar to the financial power of attorney is a healthcare uh, power of attorney. It's more commonly known these days as uh, a healthcare representative, and this is granting someone authority to, um, to to basically interact with the doctors, the nurses, that sort of thing. Make um, healthcare decisions on your behalf if you can't do it yourself. So that's all the HIPAA stuff, which we know there are very strict. Again, our culture has gone to make this very very strict, where you can't speak for someone if they're even if they're unable to speak for themselves if you don't have the authority that's right that's right so again both of these documents are something that you may need during your lifetime if uh, for health reasons or some sort of an accident you're unable to um, to make your own decisions on your own behalf Uh, so then we get to the will which was Rick's question initially right this is what most people think of when they think of an estate plan I just need a will and uh, we do um, you know, certainly recommend that folks have a will in place. Um, I'm referring to your last will and testament, which is different than the fourth document that we'll refer to in just a moment, a living will. Right. Totally different. But the last will and testament is what everybody thinks of. Hey, how's all my stuff going to get to the people that I love? I'm designating who my heirs are going to be, who's going to be the beneficiary on the house and other things that I'm leaving behind. But you're listing two other things as well. Not only who's going to receive my stuff, that's those are bequests, but you're listing who's in charge of my estate. That's a personal representative. That's a pretty big authority. Who in this emotional state 
is going to reach out, hire the attorney, talk to the financial folks, get their arms around this whole thing so that your wishes are carried out. And then second, if you have minor children, who's the guardian going to be? That's Huge right. decision. That's right. Of the two, the guardianship <laughs> has the most lasting impact, right? Right. right. Um, the, the personal representative, uh, formerly known as an executor or an executrix, um, you know, this is someone who maybe has a short uh, role to play. Hopefully they're going to be able to settle out the estate and, you know, life moves on. But choosing who's going to raise your kids if you and your spouse, uh, you know, passed away unexpectedly while they're still young, that, that is a huge decision. And it could be a role that you're asking someone to play for a long time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So will is an important decision, but it it's just part of four. So Josh, hit the, hit the fourth one. Yeah, the, the living will is really where you state uh, what your wishes are going to be about how the end of life should go. You know, if if you are incapacitated, um, if doctors are willing to say that you're not going to get better from whatever illness or, or, or whatever, um, you're kind of designating what kind of lengths you want doctors to be able to go to in order to keep you alive. And you're, you're expressing those decisions to your family. You're trying to take that uh, heavy load off their shoulders so that they don't have to sit here and wonder, oh, what should we do? Now, we know what mom or dad asked us to do. And... Uh, they're more likely to actually carry that out. I say more likely. They're not legally bound or legally required to carry it out, though. Yeah, so I we need to get to the arrangements here in, in just a few minutes. So those, those are the four basic components. But I'd mention this, especially in regards to the living will not being a legally binding document. I've had clients sit down with me and talk about how they need to get an estate plan set up and start crying. And I think, oh, it's it's because this is such a hard thing to think about you passing. And no, it's because they've been through just an awful situation for their parents or for a family member. And where it wasn't spelled out and those final wishes weren't documented and it, it would just was awful. And so, folks, I'd encourage you to get these four documents set up and stay tuned because we're going to be talking about these two arrangements that Joshua mentioned and a lot more about how you can make the best estate planning decisions possible. Coming up a little bit later, we even have some listener questions around this. So a lot more to come here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Good morning, folks. We're so glad to have you with us today. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike. I've got Joshua Gregory in the studio with me. Special thanks to the attorneys at Ledoux, Kern, and Keen, as well as First State Bank for sponsoring the content of today's program. And speaking of Ledoux, Kern, and Keen, today we've been talking about the sixth area of folks' financial life, and that's estate planning. And we work with the estate planning attorneys at Ledoux, Kern, and Keen all the time. And I would just tell them as a sponsor of the show, but also uh, very trustworthy folks, trustworthy attorneys, if any of the discussion today spurs you on to taking some action and getting your estate plan set up, check them out and connect with them. If you have a question, reach out to us, 574-222-2000 or wisemoneyradio.com. All right, so we're just peeling back the layers of the onion here regarding estate plan. And again, a lot of people who know they need an estate plan set up that don't have one. There's this guilt, there's this tug, this emotional, oh, I, I know I got to get that in place. But so what is it? Josh just laid out the four documents that you need, healthcare power of attorney, 
financial or durable power of attorney, a will, last will and testament, and a living will. And we just explained what those are. But Josh also mentioned there are two arrangements you need to have in place. So Josh, let's continue to unpack this. Well, I'm not referring to funeral arrangements. I'll I'll point that out because that's where maybe some people's minds go to when they hear that word. Um, Although some people may also, you know, suggest that that's a third type of arrangement that would be worth considering in all of this, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily for most people. Um, I'm referring to the, the next arrangement is how you structure the ownership of your stuff, whether it's uh, bank accounts or your house, uh, how you set up uh, ownership on investments, that sort of thing. How you have ownership structured is going to dictate what happens to that stuff when you pass away. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, if you choose to own your home uh, jointly with your spouse, as most people do, uh, we know exactly what's going to happen if one of you passes away. It's going to that joint owner, to the surviving spouse. We don't have to consult the will. We don't have to uh, check out, you know, uh, look for notes on what you would prefer. The law just says this is how it has to go, and that's the way it goes. It's very efficient, very cost-effective. I was just going to say those two things. It really doesn't cost any money when there's a joint owner and one person pass away. It usually doesn't cost any money. I can't imagine when it when it would. Although may, maybe there's an instance, um, and there's no there's no probate because of that. Yes, uh, it doesn't cost money, but it's very quickly done. That's right. And there may be some uh, things that you own that um, it doesn't make sense to have owned jointly with with your spouse. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about maybe business interests. Maybe you have a, a partner or uh, other shareholders in a business, and that's not your spouse. So. Um, that that's not we don't have the practicality or the ability to name your spouse as a joint owner, so we have to pass those types of assets on another way. Uh, another example of how to structure ownership would be a living trust. Mm. That's uh, a, a document that looks and feels maybe similar to a will, but it is very different because you actually transfer ownership into that trust during your lifetime. Yeah, that's right. We get that question a lot. Josh, do you know? How many types of trusts there are? Oh, no. I, I, I heard someone say the exact number. I can't think of it right now, but I, I think it was over 50 different kinds of trusts. Yeah. And the one that's most often referred to here is something called a revocable living trust. And for a lot of you, that may make sense as, a, as, as one of these arrangements to set up because of how efficiently it can pass dollars on or assets on to your wishes. But it's not its not appropriate for everyone. It's just one of the arrangements you might want to consider when you talk to your certified financial planner or one of the estate planning attorneys. That's right. And the second type of arrangement that I was referring to earlier is how you set up your beneficiary designations. On many of the assets that you own, could be investment accounts, sometimes even bank accounts, you get to designate who the money is going to go to. This is a contractual obligation. When you open up your 401k, for example, and you uh, list out your spouse as a beneficiary, that company is obligated to pass those dollars to the spouse, even if your will said something else. Right. So these uh, beneficiary designations actually supersede your will. And yet they're, they're often an afterthought when folks are setting up investment accounts or signing up for the 401k at work. And quite frankly, Josh just to bash our own profession, a lot of financial advisors, they're an afterthought as well. And it's not something that's really talked about. Your certified financial planner should really be talking about who should get this money 
who should you list as a beneficiary and making sure beneficiaries are added to all of your accounts. That's right. Things like life insurance, your 401k or retirement plan at work, uh, IRAs or Roth IRAs, other investments, even bank accounts, you can set up something known as a payable on death designation, POD. Um, And this is a way to add a beneficiary to your account. So if you pass away, you know where the money is going to go. Even things like pensions, sometimes you can name a beneficiary on those as well. Yeah, that's right. And it's certainly something that is, it feels like it's a separate discussion from the investments. But if you're not cognizant of your estate plan and who you should list as beneficiaries when you're setting up investment accounts, uh, you really could be missing one of the most important components. There is a trend for a lot of folks to um, to set up their own investments, which, you know, is just fine. However, my fear is that folks overlook this area, this very important area. That's right. So. I mean, if the statistics are that uh, 55 to 65% of people don't have a will, it's even worse if you consider uh, the people who don't have an up-to-date will. Yeah. Um, and I, it'd be interesting to see how many people have not even looked at what these beneficiary designations are, sometimes in years. Right. could be uh, an ex-spouse or could be mom or dad, but now you're married and you haven't gone back and, and updated this. Uh, this is an important thing to be refreshing, reviewing on an ongoing basis because it is so important. It's so powerful. And uh, no matter what you put in your will, this is going to be what actually gets carried out for you. Yep. So hopefully that discussion helps you understand what what you're going to cover when you're setting up your estate plan. Typically, there's four documents you need, and then you need to consider two arrangements. Who should own it? And that might create a fifth document, a revocable living trust, and then who the beneficiaries are. So so very good. Hopefully that was helpful. I, I think it might be obvious, but when you're sitting down with your financial planner, certified financial planner, there are certain practical issues or practical questions that are addressed when you're talking about estate planning. And I just thought we'd take a moment to, to just explain some of those to you so you know exactly what to prepare for when you have that estate planning discussion with your certified financial planner. The first one, Josh, I'm sure you have a list too. The first one, should you use an attorney to set up these documents or do it online? That's a critical question. Um, I, we, 99 times out of 100, and maybe even 99.9 out of 100, we would recommend using an attorney, a professional to help you set up these documents because your unique situation needs a unique custom fit estate plan as well. And I just wouldn't trust the online services to have something tailored fit for your situation. Yeah, a good attorney or a good financial planner who's helping you do the design work of your estate plan they should be getting you thinking about some issues that maybe you wouldn't naturally think of on your own. And a lot of this, uh, you're asking or you're, you're having to come up with answers to questions like, um, you know, how do you decide who who should play certain roles in your uh, estate plan? You know, we, we've mentioned the executor or now it's known as a personal representative. Who should that be? Right. Um, how many people should should serve in that way? Do you need a trustee in place or a healthcare representative? Uh, you know, beyond your spouse, should you name someone else who could serve as a power of attorney for you? These are, um, there's not just one right answer that fits across the board. Someone who can walk you through the nuances, the the particulars of your exact situation, I think is much of the value of getting the estate plan built right. 
two other questions that you address when you're going through estate planning with your certified financial planner. One, do you need a revocable living trust or not? That's a big question and hard to figure that one out on your own online. Um, But do you need a trust or not? Your certified financial planner is probably in the best position to determine with with their view of your financial life whether that's needed. And then lastly, how do you implement these intentions, your new estate plan, in the ownership of your accounts and in your beneficiaries? Your attorney and certified financial planner collaborating and working together which should be able to tell you, nope, leave your IRA beneficiaries the same, change this account ownership to your revocable living trust, change the house ownership to your revocable living trust. Those are just examples, but you're going to cover all of that when you're going through the estate planning process with your attorney and certified financial planner. All right. We still have a lot more to go with estate planning as well as well, when you need to get an estate plan in place. We're going to tackle that and much more here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Good morning, folks. Thanks for being with us this morning. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike, and I've got Josh Gregory with me in the studio. Special thanks to Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett with Remax 100 for partnering with us on the Wise Money Show. Today, we've been talking about a tough topic, but really hoping to equip you to make a great decision in the area of estate planning all stemming off of a question about, hey, we don't have one in place. What is it? What do we need? And we broke down the four documents, the two arrangements, and now we're diving into a few additional pieces. If you have a question about this or anything else, we want to hear from you. This is your show, folks. So reach out to us, wisemoneyradio.com, or give us a call, 574-222-2000. All right. This may be a bit obvious when it comes to estate planning, but the answer might surprise you. At what time in your life do you need to focus on estate planning? When is estate planning more important than other er than other times? Well, if you just looked at the statistics on when people actually go put a will in place or do the formal estate planning, you would assume that it's sometime later in retirement. And we've done shows in the past about the different segments of retirement. And as you get deeper into retirement, this just becomes more and more urgent just simply because as we get older, we're closer and closer to the inevitability that we're going to pass away and we want to make sure that we don't leave a mess behind. A lot of people, I suppose in some way you kind of need to live this way, just the thinking that you're going to live forever. That's right. (laughs) And and so oftentimes you just delay this because you think, ah, you know, I got time. Uh, Nothing's going to happen to me. I read recently that 75 to 80% of women will experience widowhood during their lifetime. And of course, our our natural uh, assumption is that, well, we're hoping that that's going to come at the end of a long, happy marriage and that you've enjoyed a long, healthy retirement before this this happens, right? (laughs) But the actuality is that the average age of widowhood is 59.4 years. Oh my goodness. I've seen some statistics that would suggest that it's closer to 55. Men, men, get out there and exercise, right? (laughs) Right now, after today's show, I'm going to go work out and uh, I'll put my donut down first. There you go. Um, But, you know, the the point though is that you may be thinking that estate planning is something, well, I've got to get that figured out at some point in retirement. But what if 
you don't make it to retirement with your spouse. Yeah. You need to have your estate plan, that, that game plan, all of your arrangements in place before you even get to retirement because there is, you know, significant risk that, um, you know, these documents, these arrangements may be uh, called in to effect long before you ever realize they would. Yeah. Good point. We had a friend of ours, Jamie Haig. He's an attorney with Leduc Kern and Keene on the show, oh gosh, several months ago now, long time. And we were talking about the entity structure for your business. And we said, Jamie, when should someone get an LLC in place? Josh, do you remember his answer? Yeah, when you have something at risk, when right? You, yeah, when you have something, have something to, to lose. lose. That's right. right. And, and so when do you need to first think about getting an estate plan in place when you have something to lose? Now, some for some of you, that's right when you're launching from school into a career. Maybe you're buying a house. Maybe you're starting to save up for retirement. I hope so. And you might have something to pass on, and you should consider that. If what you have to pass on, you can list a beneficiary for, then for some of you, when you have something to lose is when you've got a child to leave behind and you need to list a guardian. And so I would encourage, yeah, tuning into your estate plan or updating it, in retirement or on the verge of retirement is critically important. But I'd also mention right when you're getting started in your career, right when you have something to lose financially or something that you're going to leave behind that's going to outlive you, you need to tune into your estate plan and maybe get one set up for the first time. And again, that might not mean formal documents all the time. It's at least paying attention to what you just referred to, and that is setting up the right beneficiaries for your accounts also. Yeah. All right, so folks, you know, because we talk about it all the time, uh, that there are six areas to everyone's financial life. We're talking about the sixth one right now. That's estate planning. But the first one is your present financial position, then protection planning, then third, tax planning. Investment planning is the fourth, and then retirement planning and college planning together are the fifth, and then estate planning is the sixth. So when you're looking at your financial life, you can't ever really just isolate one of these and make a decision in just one area. They're all interconnected. So when you're looking at your estate plan, Josh, what other areas of your financial life commonly get pulled into that discussion? Well, the one that I think my wife has kind of preconditioned me to link with estate planning is protection planning, and specifically um Life insurance, right? I mean, these these are the two topics that she never wants to talk about, and um, you know, it's it's hard. This this is uh, not a topic that most people really want to dwell on or give a whole lot of attention to, uh, but they go hand in hand. It's funny you mentioned that. I'm smiling over here, not because of the thought of that, but I'm I was meeting with a friend recently, and he had uh, a surgery on a torn meniscus, and it didn't go well. He actually needed two surgeries, but he joked with his wife. Don't take me to the ER. If something bad happens, you'll just have a lot of money because of the life, <laughs> of the life insurance, which is pretty funny because she's a nurse as well. So anyway, pretty funny. But yeah, you're yeah, right. Those jokes don't go over real well in my house. Yeah, yeah. So, and you know, the, the reality is uh, we've seen plenty of examples of folks who do pass away unexpectedly. They leave behind a, a wife who maybe is inadequately funded for the rest of her life. I, uh, I read recently that 80% of widows that are in poverty right now weren't in poverty before their husband died. Wow. So it's a situation where, okay, a paycheck just went away. Not only is there emotional damage that's been done to the family, but financially there's been this major hit. And uh, the, the risk is, is that there wasn't enough life insurance proceeds 
uh, left to help fund the rest of the the, the widow's life. Most uh, widows, on average, will have at least 18 years of life expectancy left after they become a widow. Mm. That's a long time to live, especially if uh, you, you know you don't have enough money to to do so. Well, the other area within protection planning you need to consider is your estate plan is more than just what happens when you pass. It also happens if, or it also comes into play if you're unable to handle your own affairs. And so long-term care insurance and health insurance, also part of protection planning, really need to be addressed. I'd mention one other area, we've already done it, one other area of your financial life that gets pulled into the estate discussion, and that is investment planning. How do you structure the ownership and the beneficiaries, those two arrangements Josh talked about, you cannot ignore those. I've had uh, folks come into my office and when I've questioned how they had it set up, they said, oh, my previous financial advisor just said, I don't do anything with the state planning. So I'm not, you know, I can't tell you whether, you know, who should own this or whatnot. Oh my goodness, it's totally interrelated. So investment planning also gets roped into the estate planning discussion. All right, lastly here, and this one might surprise you, how has the area of estate planning changed in recent years? What's been the trend? Has it gotten harder to plan in this area or easier? As we've gone through this series about each of the six areas of financial planning, pretty much every one I've said has gotten harder. Not so with estate planning. Estate planning, some component, some area, some, some segment of the population needs to worry about estate taxes or inheritance taxes. Well, folks, I'm here to tell you, a lot of states have gotten rid of inheritance taxes altogether. Yep, that makes this, uh, you know, be easier. And then the estate planning issue, I've got it in front of me. I think I'm going to throw it up on the blog. If you're curious, you're a big nerd like me. The how big your estate can be or how much money you can have before you'd have to pay federal estate taxes. And folks, it's gone from just a few hundred thousand to a million to now well over $5 million today. And they recently moved it so that that can be both for a uh, husband and a wife, you can combine those. So in my opinion, I don't know what you think, Josh. I think it's gotten a little easier. Yeah, and I would say for the exact same reasons that you did. It's less about tax planning today than it used to be, mm -hmm. which means that you can turn your attention within your estate plan to how do you make this good for the beneficiaries themselves. And, and I don't mean how do you make this lucrative for them. I'm saying how do you make sure that sudden wealth that could be created for them doesn't hurt them. That's a principle that you want to build into your estate plan. You want to help them without hurting them. And much of that is just making sure that you're leaving dollars behind in a structure or format with the right arrangements in place uh, so that they don't have more control than they're ready for, mm -hmm. um, that they don't suddenly have more wealth that they're in charge of than their wisdom can really bear. Yeah, that is actually a great segue. We've been talking about, about a lot of issues related to estate planning, but now coming up, we're just going to hit your questions. Jenny's got a great, great question about, she's got three young kids, and what happens if something happens to her? Do they have all of a sudden control of all of this money, or who gets that money if they're, if they're minors? I know a lot of people have that question. We're going to hit that and a few more questions about estate planning coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. 
Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran & Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning, folks. Thank you for spending part of your morning with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. I've got Josh Gregory in the studio with me. And every week I tell you our, sh- our entire goal for the show is to help you make your next wise step in your financial life. Today's show has been all about estate planning and with so much emotion wrapped into that decision, gosh, I mean it now more than ever. Hopefully today's show has helped equip you to make a wise step as opposed to an emotional step regarding your estate plan, your will, the documents you need in place, the arrangements you need to set up. And so hopefully it spurred you on to some action if you need some action to take. Um, we've got several questions here to hit. If you have a question, reach out to us, wisemoneyradio.com. You can even get previous episodes there. If you missed anything today and want to tune back in, that'll be on the podcast on wisemoneyradio.com or on iTunes and Google Play. You can also connect with us by giving us a call, 574-222-2000. Leave your question there. We'll hit it on an upcoming show Lastly, like us and stay connected with us on Facebook and Twitter at Wise Money Radio. Okay, so Jenny's question here from Mishawaka really hits home for a lot of folks. Um, Here's what she asked. My husband and I have three young kids. If we pass away, the kids will get the life insurance. But who gets that money if they're still minors? That's that's just, I mean, one of the most common estate planning questions there are. There is. Yep. And, you know, the devil's in the details on this one. And what you're going to want to do is actually uh, pull out that life insurance policy and read word for word how you set up the beneficiaries on the policy. Yeah, that that goes back to a point we made earlier in the show that even if you list your will in your will, hey, the, you know, so-and-so gets the life insurance, whatever you listed as beneficiary on life insurance, that supersedes the will. That's right. So there's a possibility if, if you dust off that old policy and you see uh, that the first person listed as the beneficiary is probably your spouse, it should be, um, but then is there a contingent beneficiary or a successor beneficiary? This would be who's going to receive the money if the first beneficiary, the primary, your spouse, passes away either with you or before you. And if you have your kids listed there by name or by title, if it says something like my living children equally, um, something like that, then what it means is that the dollars, if you and your spouse were to pass away in some freak accident or something, the dollars are going to pass down to your kids, but they're probably not old enough to actually receive the money because you're referring to them as minors right now. Minors can't Uh, receive dollars and open up bank accounts and open up investment accounts and things like that because they're not old enough to sign a contract. Yeah. And so someone has to do it for them. And, uh, you know, presumably if you don't have a will in place, then, uh, you know, your family members will get together, they'll appeal to the court and someone will be designated as their guardian to take care of them. But someone also needs to be designated uh, as the conservator or the um, custodian on the money for their benefit Usually as well. those are the same people. Most commonly. Mm-hmm. doesn't have to be, though. Right. Right? Uh, but that person's job is to manage those dollars for the benefit of the kids, making sure that all their health and education, all their living expenses and well-being are covered with this uh, life insurance money that you've left behind. But then the question is, what happens when they are an adult? 
<laughs> right? You're using that word loosely. Adult. Yeah. Uh, legal adult. I'll okay. say it that way. So 18. 18. That's right. Uh, some states it's 21. Still too early though. Mm-hmm. But at age 18, now all of a sudden they have complete access, complete control of that money um, according to the laws of the state. And, you know, I don't know about uh, you. I, it's hard for me to picture my kids at 18 being ready to manage what could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't, I don't know what size life insurance policy we're talking about here, mm-hmm. but it could be huge money that they uh, are inexperienced. They, they don't have the, uh, the, the knowledge, the experience, maybe the wisdom, or sometimes even the character to be able to manage these dollars on their own. So this, it, I've seen it happen. I've seen it where a young individual all of a sudden gets access to an enormous amount of wealth because someone passed away and it wasn't set up in a trust, which we're going to talk about in a second, and and they made awful decisions. And it reminds me of a story I heard recently about someone in, actually, Josh, it was your dad who shared this story, someone in, in England who won the lottery oh, yeah. and was 18 and won the lottery and within, was it two years, said winning lottery is the worst thing that ever happened to me. I was not, you know, I, I thought money would fill me up. It'd make me happy and so on. Now I wish I never had this money. Right. Right. And actually her appeal was you should raise the age at which you need to be to be able to buy a lottery ticket. And same thing here, even though this is like a backwards twisted way of winning a financial lottery, losing someone. But it just underscores the point that you need maturity and skill to manage money. And if you don't have it set up in an arrangement where someone would receive the dollars when they're a little bit older, receiving it at 18 just could accelerate some really bad decisions. Well, accelerate bad decisions and could maybe stunt your own character development, your own growth and your wisdom as well. Sudden wealth can really mess with people's minds, unfortunately. So what do we tell Jenny to do? If you've got minor kids, I would first consider... This is one of the reasons why you might want to have a revocable living trust set up. Because within a trust, the trust can outlive you. You can state your intentions in the trust and actually say, yeah, the money is still available for their health and college and maintenance, support, all of that sort of stuff. But they don't, get ac- they, didn't, they don't get access to the rest of the money until they reach a certain age. Um, and you can even tailor or, or tier that over their life. Um, mine is age 25, 30, and 35. And I'll tell you, my kids are six and four. Based on how it's going, I'm going to be increasing those, <laughs> those ages, right? So, and then you could list that trust as the successor, or excuse me, the contingent beneficiary of that life insurance. That's the irony of the the term trust. This is a document you use when you don't trust. Yeah. You don't trust that the kids are ready to receive the money outright. So you're designating someone that you do trust someone who's competent and uh, loves your kids and wants uh, what's good for them to manage the money until the day that you've designated they can take over control. All right. So Jenny's question, one of the most common, hopefully that helped. Randy's question next is also one of the most common. Gosh, I see this all the time. Randy's 53. My dad passed away about eight years ago, and now my mom is thinking about getting remarried. Problem is she's in her late 70s, and part of me is just wondering how can we protect the money that she had with my dad from going to her new husband if she passes away? Well, it creates the need to have your mom's estate plan up to date, for starters. Some uh, second marriage situations, folks will 
um, they'll deem it to be a prudent thing to go ahead and get a prenuptial agreement in place. Just to let's deal with the finances up front so that no one is wondering because. Um, you know, in, in your situation, Randy, you're not going to want to be constantly looking at your s- new stepfather as uh, w- well with kind of a suspicious eye, right? I mean, is he just after mom's money or whatever? You may feel like it's your job to go try to defend mom mm-hmm. or defend her money. You know, that could create a rift between you and mom. You know, she may be feeling like all you care about is just protecting the money for yourself. So understanding your mom's intentions and her wishes is very important. This is her money, and she may want to benefit her new spouse with some of it. Um, But the key is you you have to have an estate plan in place. Otherwise, if she doesn't have a will and she passes away owning certain assets without beneficiaries named on it, the laws of the state might start steering a big chunk of that money to this spouse, whether that was her intention or not. I, I would echo that, but I would say it a little bit more forcefully. You've got to talk about this. Yeah, that's You've well got to talk about it. And you might get it wrong. You might start talking about it and mom would get the impression or new husband would get the impression that all you care about is the money or you're not accepting of him or their their union. No, if that might happen. You might get it wrong, but have an opportunity then to correct yourself and get on the right path. You've got to air out what the intentions are and what the expectations I know, Randy, you're saying mom's in her late 70s, and so you've got to consider that. That's still young. That's yeah. still young. She could have a lot of life left, and you want to make sure that if the new husband passes, that mom's not left out financially hung to dry, and that mom's wishes are carried out if she passes away, whether that's leaving some money to you or all of it, or leaving it to her new husband. You guys just need to talk about that. Estate planning is emotional, but you've got to talk about it. Don't shy away, folks. All right. I hope this discussion's been helpful. And once again, if you need an estate plan, I hope the discussion has, too, equipped you to have that discussion and motivated you to take some action. All right, folks. That's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory, myself, and the rest of us at Corhorn Financial Group, we'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.